think that people are, are looking forward to just not worrying so much um, about you know what might happen if they contract coronavirus. I mean, Italy has been through a lot in the last 18 months, and you know I think everybody has seen you know a lot of death and a lot of um, sickness and a lot of really negative things. So this um, this is like a, you know one step closer to being. Um, on the other side. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading over to Italy. I am doing all my vicarious travel via this podcast. I just have to. And people often ask, if you, when we're allowed to travel again, where would you go? And I can't quite decide between Italy and Japan. But for today's purposes, let's say it's Italy. And when we're allowed to, I'm heading straight to Florence to hang out with Emiko Davies. Emiko is a cookbook author, uh, just uh, hosts travel experiences, and she's an Australian living in Italy. Welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm really, really thrilled to have you. And in preparation for this talk, I just dived back into your recipes and beautiful images on Instagram and your website and... Oh my goodness, I just really need a dose of all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what it's like for you this month. So August in Italy, it's probably pretty hot. Just set the scene for me. It is um, sweltering hot. It is the the time of the year when basically everyone packs up and goes to the beach. And so um, even restaurants will usually... Um, close for at least a week, sometimes two weeks. There are some that close for the full month of August. And um, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of unbearable in the city. But um, on the other hand, it's kind of nice and quiet too because um, because everyone goes away. So it's like you can find a park easily. And um, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's sort of, um, it's a time of the year that I, I kind of, I uh, love and hate for all of those reasons but the the heat is is really stifling it's very you, you can't see this in the photos um but it is really humid <laughs> what you mean you mean instagram's not 100 percent real <laughs> people often say that and i think they get surprised when they book their holiday for like late july and they come here and they're like whoa it's like being inside a pizza oven um yeah <laughs> you can't can't detect the temperature <laughs> And so just from a COVID point of view, what are things like in Italy at the moment? So it's, it is very interesting. Um, it is – so from, from the 6th of August, which is in, in just a couple of days, um, the, Italy is rolling out this green pass. So in order to um, actually dine inside or go to a swimming pool or um, – go to the gym, things like that, you have to produce um, a green pass, which means um, that you've got a QR code on your phone that shows that you've either had um, at least one dose of a vaccine or that you've recovered in the last six months from, um, uh, from coronavirus or that you've done a negative test within the last 48 hours. And then that will get you inside wherever it is that you're trying to go. And um, so they're going to start that from from just a couple of days now. Um, but the, I mean, the thing is that most I mean most Italians are now um, vaccinated, um, so that's that's looking positive, <laughs> and things feel um, 
yeah, slightly more normal. Like we can go about doing doing things as before almost. Mm, that's fantastic. And has there been much pushback about the green pass? Of you know, have have the, has there been opposition to it, or everyone, everyone's just like, yeah, if this was what we got to do to get out there, then let's do it. Yeah, everyone's. I mean, yes, there has been some, but most most of it is is yeah, it's just practical. Yes, please, let's just get on with our lives, and 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 because most people are um, keen to get their vaccine and um and and have have done that. Um, especially before going away on holidays in August, I had my first shot last at the end of last weekend, and um, and it was packed. It normally is normally like very smooth and goes goes very, you know, actually actually goes quite well. Um, and there was just this rush of people, I think, trying to get get their things done before going away on holiday. Um, so yeah, I think that um, I think that people are, are looking forward to just not worrying so much. Um, about, you know, what might happen if they contract coronavirus. I mean, Italy has been through a lot in the last 18 months and, you know, I think everybody has seen, you know, a lot of death and a lot of um, sickness and a lot of really negative things. So this um, this is like, a, you know, one step closer to being um, on the other side. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Italy was where it really hit home, I think, for a lot of people in Australia that this was something really serious. Um, so it's been a very long and difficult road. Um, of course, one of the features of the pandemic has been Australians not able to get back here. I mean, what's that been like for you to, you know, you know, Australia somewhere that you you often return to? What's it been like for that to just be much more of a difficult scenario? Um, it's been really hard. I have all my family in Australia. My parents are in Canberra, my sisters in Melbourne, my brothers in Sydney, and I haven't seen them for two years now. And um, that's the longest I've ever gone without um, seeing my my parents or, or anyone in my family. So um, that itself is really hard. I think I never imagined in my lifetime that there'd be something blocking me from jumping on a plane and going to, to see them anytime. Um, so that's sort of the, the reality of, of when am I going to see them next? That's something I try not to think about because I get a little bit um, emotional when I think how much we're missing, how much um, they're, they're missing of, of uh, my seeing my girls grow up and how much I'm missing out on their lives. And um, yeah, it's, it's, that's been really, really, really hard. I think, um, more than anything else at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is so hard. And of course, I'm sure they'd love to visit you as well. And it just doesn't seem like that's going to be able to happen anytime soon. It is, as you say, you know, as an expat, you, you just, yeah, you just would never have thought that there'd be something, this worldwide phenomenon that would stop you from being as mobile as we all got used to being. Yeah, exactly. I've, I sort of grew up my whole life living somewhere else um, or with family on the other side of the world. And, and so we would just every year of my whole life be on a plane going to Japan or going to China or going to Australia or going to the States, going going somewhere quite far away. And um, that was sort of quite normal for me. I felt, oh, yeah, I can live in Italy and still, you know, visit my family as often as I want, really. Um, but no, <laughs> so that, that's been really hard to um, – uh, to sort of uh, to to accept, I guess. Yeah. 
Mm. So you've moved house, renovated and written a cookbook all through this period. <laughs> Tell us about, you know, the, the challenges and the, and the delights of just getting stuff done through all this. Um, well, the, I think it, I want to say the thing about lockdown, we, we went through a few, a few of them, um, and in Italy, we had, you know, last year we had the, the the huge national lockdown, which is around the same time and similar to what Melbourne did um, in, in our spring last year. And then, um, and then we had another one in the autumn, which went on through sort of the Christmas holidays, and that was quite big. And we had another one here, but at, at, by this point, this year, at the beginning of this year, the lockdowns then became um, regional, and and then. Um, instead of being a national one, even just um, depending on your town and your council um, to the municipality that you live in. And so we, we moved into this house that we had um, renovated over the, over the second lockdown <laughs> and moved in right in time for our very local lockdown as well. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And at the time I was also um, – so we were sort of, we were nesting, let's say it was a good chance to just sort of be home and unpack and get things feeling homely and nice. And um, we were homeschooling and all of that as well at that point. And um, at the same time, I was um, I was recipe testing and um, trying to photograph a cookbook, my new cookbook, um, which is going to be out next um, April. And that was that was really challenging because I couldn't even get out to like buy props or or, or anything. I mean, I could go to the supermarket for, um, you know, for the ingredients, obviously. But uh, this new book is about Venice, and so some of the ingredients I was after are, um, well, they're like really particular to the lagoon and very specific sort of seafood. So I managed to find someone in Livorno who. Um, uh, you know, who had them and I could order them and he delivered them in a massive um, box of ice, which was amazing. So um, we managed to get a few things done that I didn't think, um, you know, I think maybe last year would have been a lot harder to do. But after three lockdowns, you know, people got um, got quite efficient at, um, you know, uh, supplying a service that otherwise, you know, we wasn't there before. Yeah. What was the seafood that you needed? Oh, I was looking for, they're called skier and they are really, really tiny prawns. Um, they're basically like school prawns in Australia, but okay. really tiny and you eat them whole shell, shell and everything. You just, you, you dust them in flour, fry them and they're just like crunch, pure crunch. Oh, yum. And is that, the, is that the recipe as simple as that? It's as simple as that. And you, you eat them with polenta with like a really creamy white polenta usually. Oh, right. So you have the crunch and the creaminess together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's really so interesting. Like you have a big like like pile of polenta and you put the prawns on top? Exactly. Yeah. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I really want that. What are some of your other favourite recipes from the book? Uh, well, there's lots of fried things. So so the book is, is basically it centres around Venetian cicchetti, which are the little the little bites um, that you get when you go around um, to traditional Venetian wine bars, and um, so I'm looking at the really traditional ones and talking a lot about the history of you know why Venice 
eats like that and you can trace it back to, to the Renaissance, which is amazing. And um, so there's because there are little things that you you eat with um, usually a glass of wine or maybe a spritz or something like that, um, there's a lot of fried things. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that make you want to drink more because the idea of these um, the chiquetti bars, you know, especially in the in the 50s and 60s, um, the owners of these shops were, you know, hoping for people to um, spend spend more money in them. And and wine and chiquetti are very very cheap in Venice. They're like one euro per chiquetto, um, couple of euro for a glass of wine. It's really really cheap. So the idea is you you have um, the sort of food that makes you want to order more glasses of wine. <laughs> And um, so you have to wash, you know, wash down whatever it is you're eating. So there's lots of salty things um, like maybe anchovies or gorgonzola. Uh, there's lots of things that are like, you know, you just need something to, to help you swallow it, like a, maybe like a boiled egg, a hard-boiled egg, or even just a hard-boiled potato. Um, those, are, those are some really traditional chiquiti that you'll find in like the really old-school wine bars, just, you know, boiled potatoes oh. <laughs> yeah uh, I just I as you're talking I'm just to- totally transported to Venice like I can feel the heat and that steaminess of all the um all the canals all the water there the lagoon and I also can just see the beading sweat on my spritz uh and the snacks on the bar and just yeah that that sort of transition from winding through a little alley and then coming upon a a little bar on a corner and it's sort of dark and cave-like within and you just walk in and yeah the the just the heat and the cool and the crunch of those fried snacks oh my goodness I am so there (laughs) exactly that that's exactly yeah what what it is Oh, had you, so had you done all your research for the, you know, and all your recipe development or, you know, collection, I suppose, idea collation before the pandemic and all the lockdowns? Um, yeah, actually, it was funny because, uh, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Venice. I used to, um, before I started writing about food, I used to study art restoration and um, I did an internship in Venice on the um, island of San Lazaro, which houses a uh, an Armenian monastery, and um, it was when I was there, I was there for about four weeks, um, that I just just fell in love with these really old um, bacardi. They're called the Venetian chiquetti bars, and um, and I've so I've made lots of trips back then. I have some very good friends in Venice, but really the idea for the book um, sort of first first came about right after our lockdown. So it was um, late May when we finally were allowed to out of the house. And um, one of the first trips I did was was go to Venice. And I met up with a friend who is from Melbourne, um, but has been living in Italy as, as long as I have. And she now lives in Trento. And she's a, she's a historian. She studies, or her specialty is migration. And um, her, her main area is, is Venice. And so, uh, and she had this idea that we were sitting, talking, having a drink, and she was, she said, you know, there would be a book in writing about Venetian chiquetti and talking about where where it all came from and how it started um, in the Renaissance. And 
as we were talking more and more about it, it just, it, you know, they could see this book forming in, in my head. And I, and so we decided the very next weekend we were going to go to Venice together and just eat our way through Venice for the whole weekend, um, eat at all our favorite chicchetti bars and just, you know, sort of talk about this idea. And I, um, because this was our very, very first outing really after lockdown um, and, you know, seeing Venice with absolutely no tourists in it was was quite was quite something especially it was in the summer it was june and um so i sort of i documented a lot of it on instagram i put lots of stories up i had lots of um lots of slides lots of photos um in on instagram over the weekend that we were there and when i got home um the monday morning there was an email from my publisher saying hey I loved, you know, watching your um, Instagram over the weekend on Venice and she said, how about a book on Cicchetti? <laughs> no way. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, you'll never guess this, but we were actually, I was actually there, you know, collecting ideas to send you a proposal exactly on that. So, um, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's how that meant that, to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. I mean, what was it like to be in Venice so quiet? I mean, it must have been like beautiful but haunting. Yeah, it was. Because I mean, I've been back and forth now um, many, many times since last June, um, collecting photos, collecting other um, bits of inspiration, um, going to the market to buy some of the seafood, you know, those sort of things. And um, and each time I, I go back, it it is, yeah, it's this mix of, um it's an absolute treasure to sort of be there right now and you know have venice all to, all to yourself um but also so much of venice is so touristy and so um geared just for tourists that those areas of venice were like a ghost town and um you know i'm thinking around piazza san marco we we stayed in May last year, this was right after our third or fourth lockdown. I can't remember how many we had done by then. Oh no, May this year, and we were staying right by San Marco, and it was um, it was kind of creepy. It was really, really eerie. It was completely closed. All the shops were closed. Florian was closed. Um, you know, Cafe Florian and everything. All just the whole streets leading towards Piazza San Marco were just completely shuttered. I mean, they, these are shops that are like, you know, luxury stores that obviously the residents are not shopping at. Those are, you know, stores that are open there for tourists. So, um, yeah, it was really strange to see that. Meanwhile, the neighborhood areas of Venice, of which there are so, so many, and these are the areas that tourists never discover or you know, maybe they might accidentally get lost and find their, themselves there. But those areas where, where we have we have good friends who, who live there and, um, you know, who have kids there and those areas were were lively and joyful and all the bars were open and people were out at every um, hour of the day um, sort of celebrating and drinking and uh, and eating and just enjoying being um, outside with, with things open again. Wow, what an incredible contrast. I, I wonder if the San Marco pigeons had moved out into the neighbourhoods. <laughs> yeah, totally. There wasn't much for them, I can tell you, in Piazza San Marco. Seeing Piazza San Marco empty like that was was um, was quite, yeah, 
quite something. I took some photos and I thought, you know, this doesn't look real. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to use these photos in there because it just doesn't look, um, doesn't look like Venice. It was really, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And, um, Emiko, let's talk about putting the book together. I mean, photography is something that you're well known for. Is, but to shoot a book, um, alone at home is is that what you've done in the past no no it isn't at all um I do I do shoot food for my blog and and um have have done that for a long time now but um I I personally prefer shooting um you know street street photography or landscapes or places and so in my cookbooks the um, the location photographs are, are mine, um, but the recipe photographs uh, we do together with this amazing team, they're all from Melbourne. Um, Lauren Bamford is the photographer and Deb Caliper is the food stylist. And um, for the first book, we, we actually shot in Melbourne and um, I was cooking the dishes with um, Caroline Griffiths, who's an amazing cook and home economist, and or she's also a cookbook author. And we we did the shoot in, in sort of five days, 50 recipes. And even for the other two books, we decided to shoot those in, in Italy. And this wonderful team flew over from Melbourne on their own, just, you know, out of their own pockets. They came to Italy and um, we did the shoot for Aquacotta in the Maremma, um, which is where that book was, the theme of that book. And Tortellini at Midnight, we, we shot here in Tuscany as well um, in like 40-degree heat in, in a summer in July um, a couple of years ago. And so um, I've gotten really used to working with this amazing team. Um, we, we work really, really well together. And um, this time well because of because of everything because of the pandemic and also the timing I happened to be completely in lockdown so I couldn't even get I don't know if I wanted some help I couldn't even get anyone to come over and help me um, because we were in a we were in our our red zone lockdown um, so I had to shoot this book by myself um, which I can do but I was really daunted by the whole by the whole thing I think I, I'm I don't know um, it was, you know, it was very different because I was shooting at home with my own plates and things that I happened to have and um, trying to make everything look a little bit different, but, you know, always just in my kitchen <laughs> with my limited, you know, my limited props. Um, yeah, it was, it was daunting. And I sort of, I really hope that, um, you know, the rest of the book and also the, the, the photos of Venice um, will will sort of bring the whole thing to life. That's so interesting. I mean, you know, I'm sure I'm sure the photos are beautiful, and yeah, obviously the recipes will be amazing. But it'll also be a bit of a time capsule of this period, won't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm I know I for one will be looking at that, going, you know, sort of looking at my plates and things, and and you know, there might be some repeats of cutlery or glasses or something because. You know, I didn't have the this you know incredible selection of props um, because of where I was. But anyway, maybe other people are not going to notice that, but it definitely will will be a, a complete time capsule. Yeah. Well, it's definitely been a period of yeah improvisation, of making do with what's what, of yeah you just do what you have to do. So I suppose in that sense, it's yeah entirely representative of the period. Um, yeah. 
Emiko, when I was looking at your website earlier, I just was swooning about this idea of uh, five days in a villa, a, a group that you're going to host for a cooking and travel experience. This this kind of thing just <laughs> seems a bit unthinkable to me at the moment. Uh, is is this the first uh, such thing that you've done uh, since you know the start of the pandemic? Yes, yeah, it is, and um, we. We had been doing these in um, 2018 and 2019, and then we had some great plans for 2020, which then, you know, was completely um, a write-off um, all of that year, and I had to refund everybody. And um, a lot of people were still sort of clinging on to the idea that they could, they might still be able to come at the end of the year. You know, there was this uncertainty. So even even this year, we just we just thought, well, we will just wait. You know until things are sort of normal. But um, but um, um, Americans are really keen on being able to travel and they can get here fairly easily. They don't have to quarantine. Um, they just do the same thing as, as Italians are now doing for a green pass. There are COVID-free flights from like New York and Atlanta, I think. So you can just jump on a COVID-free flight even and you don't have to have a green pass because in order to get on that flight, you've got to do like three um, negative COVID tests. And, um, yeah, so, so it was amazing. We, you know, just in the matter of, of days, um, we filled up one week and we had so much request that we just, we put on a second week and that week has sort of spilled over and people are like begging to join on. So they're going to sleep in a bed and breakfast nearby and not even be there, but they just, they just want to, they just want to come. They're just like, please let me just, (laughs) I'll sleep anywhere. (laughs) Just just let us come and join you. Um, Yeah. It it was amazing. The response was, was really, really amazing. I can see people just really keen to, to get out and come back to Italy and do, you know, do some really nice things. I haven't heard of these COVID-free flights. Is that just a thing between the US and Europe? Yeah. Yep. Wow. So they, started them, they started them during the very, um, during the end of last year, I think. And um, so when everyone was still in lockdown and it still wasn't um, travel for for tourism purposes was, was not, was not allowed. And these COVID free flights were for, um, for work or, um, uh, for example, I, I could do some cooking classes for some American universities in Florence and they brought their students back this year and, um, the, the students were coming just on COVID free flights. So if you had a good reason to be in Italy, that wasn't, um, for just for general travel, then you could come just on these COVID-free flights that were only, I think it's Delta and maybe American Airlines. There are, there are two airlines that are doing them and they're out of just two cities. Um, yeah, but it was – so they kind of tested them during during that period and then when they saw that they, you know, that they were working really well, um, they decided to keep offering them. So, it, I mean, Ameri- Americans can still travel any on any flight now. They can come wherever they want, but – you know, I think uh, the COVID-free flight kind of gives people a little bit extra, um, I don't know, security or they feel, you know, they might feel more comfortable about traveling um, knowing that everyone has, everyone's done negative tests and yeah. I just feel so 
let down by the Australian government that this this kind of stuff is happening in other places around the world. I think, you know, in the early part of the pandemic, I think a lot of Australians felt grateful for, you know, our island fortress mentality and it definitely kept us safe. But uh, we to still be stuck here in this dynamic when other people are flying to Tuscany, I'm just getting really upset about it at this point. Not to mention that, you know, I can't see my family in the UK. You can't see your family in Australia. It's just, um, yeah, it's really frustrating. Very. And I think, I mean, I've spoken to some people now who are are saying, like, just let's just open the doors, let the virus come in and just get on with it so like everybody else has. But, I mean, yeah, the bubble that you guys had especially last year when when it was sort of ravaging the rest of the world and vaccines weren't yet available. That was the bubble seemed kind of um, uh, like something that, I don't know, something that we were kind of envious of. It's amazing that you didn't, you know, that you could still go, go along with regular life when here in Italy, um, you know, you couldn't have weddings or um, go to a funeral or or see your grandmother or you know you couldn't do anything last year it was really it was really a sad, really sad time yeah no absolutely um yeah it's just everyone here has just got to get vaccinated and then we can um rejoin the world um so Emiko for, for those lucky people that are coming to join you for those five days in the villa just give me a little just just t- totally torture me and tell me about the experience <laughs> so um so this is a, a beautiful beautiful villa in the middle of the Val d'Orcia which is for me the part of Tuscany that is like pure Tuscany you know when you when you think of Tuscany the image that you have in your head is probably the Val d'Orcia and nowhere else in Tuscany really looks quite like it it's like those scenes in Gladiator where you know he's putting the hand, his hand over the over the wheat fields <laughs> and and walking home those were all filmed in the Val d'Orcia and um, it's just this really um, really unique sort of landscape of these wheat fields and vineyards, um, mountains sort of around you and these rolling, rolling hills. Um, And then like every now and then sort of a a medieval or a renaissance town kind of on the top of a hill or like a farmhouse. And this villa is one of those. It sits on a a hill so it's got um, like 360-degree views of the Val d'Orcia and everywhere you look it just looks – Every direction is just is just beautiful. So for me, like we could just sit there for a week and not do anything else except like eat and drink and just enjoy this this beautiful Tuscan house, this farmhouse. It's just it, it's it's pure joy. Um, but there's also just so many lovely things to see around the area. Um, we decided we wanted to make it like a family friendly thing so that people can bring their kids and they don't have to worry about like their four year old or whatever else, because there might be other four year olds in there. And so, um, so it is a family friendly gathering. So there's people can, can, you know, who are bringing their, um, their children. There's, there's older people who are traveling as friends. There's sort of, there's really a mix of all kinds of people coming on this, um, coming on this trip. And, uh, so I'm going to take them to some of my favorite places in the Val d'Orcia. So there's, um, we're going to go to um, a cheese farm um, that I love because Pienza, which is the main 
sort of the closest town where we will be. Pienza is famous for pecorino cheese. Um, so we'll go and visit a cheesemaker and they have this beautiful property also with like views, views, views. And, um, and they've got um, a portion of some woods on their property as well. Uh, so we're going to go truffle hunting in their woods there. Um, October will be so the beginning of the of the truffle season, um, like the good, the really good truffle season. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to do that. Um, we're going to visit uh, a winery that also makes its own beer and honey, and they have this gorgeous little um, sort of food truck in the middle of their farm where they've got you know cushions and swings and hammocks, and you just sort of you picnic outside, and you can do a wine tasting there. Um, all of these places that we that we really love are um, organic or biodynamic, uh, you know, natural in, in that sense. We really, I mean, this is I think the only way to really see see all of these things is experience them in you know really traditional ways as well. And um, we'll visit some towns. We're going to visit the hot springs in Bagno Vignoni, which is a beautiful, beautiful town that has. Um, it's, it's tiny. You could walk around the whole town in about 10 minutes and you, you've seen it all. Uh, but the central, the central piazza of the town is of actually a pool of, of hot springs. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh my and, goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm just dead. <laughs> you can do this like little, like a five minute sort of bushwalk down from the town and you get to a part where the, where the hot springs have like trickled out of the, um, sort of out of the cliff and so you can take a dip there um but there's lots of places in town as well that have uh, like a like a proper pool and a nice change room and things that you can go and do you know you can do a fancy one or you can do a bushwalk and and go into the natural one um so i'll take i'll take people to both and see why they can choose what they want to do um we'll eat out at one of my favorite um trattorias in in bagno vignone it's a really great great restaurant um yeah, we're going to do things like that. It's going to be oh, and there's a flower. We go to this beautiful flower farm um, where we're going to pick wildflowers and make a learn how to make a bouquet. The kids are going to do like a like a treasure hunt where they have to find the flowers that are in the bouquet, and they're going to go through the garden and pick their own, which is which is I think amazing. So nice. Um, yeah, yeah. There'll be lots of aperitivos. So will your kids come with you as well? Yeah, my kids are going to be there. I'm going to. Pull my daughter out of school. Uh, actually, both of them are now going to be. Well, one of them's in preschool. One will start preschool in September, and the other one's in year four. Um, but you know, it's it's been a really, I mean, it's been a really funny year. I I don't mind pulling them out of school for uh, two weeks to give them this experience to sort of to also to just connect and be with some other kids. Um, which we haven't done for a really long time. Actually, it's been sort of 18 months of not much of seeing friends or play dates or anything. So, uh, yeah, I think this will be really nice for them too. And then there'll be lots of, lots of wine tasting with my husband's a sommelier, so he's going to be doing the wine tasting. There'll be lots of aperitivi and we're going to make pasta together. We'll cook dinner together at night in the, in the villas. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be – Sort of not too much stuff that will make people tired, but just sort of enjoying being in Tuscany and being in this really beautiful place. Wow. Well, 
I do feel like I've just had a little slice of it. Um, <laughs> I feel a little bit sunburnt and a little bit woozy from a few, from some wine tasting, but then I got refreshed in the in the springs. So the yeah, you've definitely <laughs> taken me there. Oh my goodness, those lucky people! It sounds brilliant, um, Emiko. It's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for letting me have a little slice of your life in Italy. Um, is there anything that you want to say to your many fans and followers in Australia oh I just I just I cannot wait to get home really that's the that's the main thing I can't wait to get home and I can't wait to see people here um I know so many people had to cancel their trips to Italy including my my brother and my sister in um in 2020 and probably this year too I just yeah I really can't wait for people to get to be back in their favorite places or you know go go and visit their family. I know so many people have family here and there and I'm just, yeah, I'm really waiting for that and I'm really, really waiting to get back to Australia. Yep. Well, we are waiting to be reconnected in real life as well. It's, um, yeah, hopefully it won't be too far away. I certainly I certainly hope that's the case. But, um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, stay cool. Enjoy the beautiful, ju- juicy, sweet summer produce there in the north of Italy. And, uh, yeah. It's the only thing that makes up for it. <laughs> <laughs> and have a spritz for me. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.